Thank you, Laura. Thank you for um, asking me. Thank you for your service and um, holding this meeting. Um, I actually so appreciate rereading that chapter um, about the alcoholic. It's sadly so true to me. So um, it's always um, impactful to read it. Um, anyways, hi, I'm Elise. I'm an alcoholic. Um, I um, will give you my, my story real quick. My pug is here helping. If you hear her crying, that's her. She loves AA. Um, I'm from Los Angeles. Um, I've always loved alcohol. Um, I um, remember being in college one night and um, kind of noticing a red flag um, that I uh, woke up, or I guess I hadn't fallen asleep. And I decided to um, go in our kitchen and our college dorm room was like many college dorm rooms. You like keep all of your empty alcohol bottles around as like, I don't know, souvenirs or trophies that you drank, you know, that much Jameson or something. And I just decided to pour the remnants of each into a into a glass to see if maybe I could outdo everyone with them. a little extra alcohol. Um, I remember thinking that was probably a little bit more than my other housemates would do. Um, but my drinking really took off when I got married. Um, I married um, a, a legit alcoholic and um, our house was um, was just like the party house. It was the place to go. Um, it was kind of like we stayed 21 for a decade plus. Um, and there was always um, a fifth of Smirnoff in our uh, freezer always. Um, another red flag I had was my husband. Um, I'm really into like sneakers, like cool shoes. And he surprised me one day with this pair of um, like amazing Adidas or something, but he put them in the freezer knowing that that was the first place I would go when I got home from work. So I opened the freezer. There were my new shoes. And I thought, oh, that's probably kind of a creepy that's the first place I go when I get home is our freezer. That's where my husband hides my gifts. Um, so some things I probably should have noted um, along the way, um, but I really enjoyed it. I managed to continue life. You know, I had my job, I had my pugs and um, over time, um, our marriage dissolved. And as our relationship fell apart, um, we both just elevated our drinking. Um, and eventually, um, it was just a really toxic situation. And I got very, very desperate and, um, uh, ended up getting 5150 and taken to John George for, um, trying to drink a whole fifth by myself along with Benadryl or something. Um, and that was um, the beginning of, you know, what would be the demise of our marriage. Um, although I did um, sadly end up in the hospital a handful of times um, before finally getting into rehab. Um, I found my way to Newbridge Foundation in Berkeley. Um, and I spent 60 days there. And that was the first time I, I really did kind of like that reading, like that we just read. Um, I realized that like, I'm not like other people. I always take this 
to a ridiculous extreme. Um, I, you know, I don't ever drink just for a party. I drink to like get out of life as much as possible. And, you know, the idea of getting tired and falling asleep was non-existent. It was just always the pass out. That was just the way to live, I think. Um, so I got to Newbridge, um, which was a big turnaround for me. Um, being at Newbridge, um, I started for the first time to learn tools. Um, I realized like I had no idea how to handle my emotions. Um, if I'm stressed, if I'm scared, I drink. If I'm excited and, you know, over the moon, I drink. And I realized I have no no adult skills for how do I just experience the emotions of living um, sober. So that was um, the beginning of learning um, meditation, um, talking to another person um, who's an alcoholic. Um, the first time I learned, you know, we talked about like CBT and cognitive behavioral therapy. How do I change my thought you know how do I like stop and look at my thoughts before acting on them and recognizing there's more than one way to look at things um so after um rehab I did relapse relapse is unfortunately a pretty big part of my story I relapsed a number of times um I relapsed out of my sober living environment um and ended up I moved in with my with my mom um but now I'm sober. Um, I've been sober <laughs> for, uh, it's four months today, um, which is, um, feels gigantic to me. Um, and I think what sobriety has given me is, it's just like an entirely new way of looking at life. Um, I, I feel like um, the Elise four months ago would have woken up and been despairing at this situation. I would have been like, I'm, I'm over 40. I'm divorced. I live at home with my parents and I'm an alcoholic. I'm it's horrible. Every, this is, I've failed at life and I can't believe I have to get up again. But now when I wake up, I'm like, I'm somewhere safe. I got out of my horrible, toxic marriage. Um, I've met, a huge community of wonderful people. Um, I go to the late show every night. I've kind of found my family there. Um, and I'm just getting started. And each day that I'm like present and stable and available to everyone where I'm not kind of a tornado, you know, wildly pushing through life, I have now the possibility that I'll meet a great partner who won't be toxic and won't be an alcoholic or will be, but hopefully a recovering alcoholic um, who can be on this journey with me. Um, and so I think um, I understand what serenity is now, which is super weird. It's like a high, but it just sort of shows up when I'm walking my dog and I realize like, I'm not chaotic. I'm just walking the dog and that's cool. And all I got to do is take care of today. Um, I've discovered higher power and it's just the way I look at things is, is gigantically 
better. I think it's just better. And um, I've discovered, I see my two minutes, Laura. So just so you know, um, I think one of the other amazing things is um, by profession and by passion, I'm a writer. That's what I do. I do marketing, writing for money. And then in my spare time, I write for myself and the world. And um, when I was um, deep in my addiction, I would write and then immediately just, you know, delete it. I would be like, this is horrible. You're a horrible writer. You can't write. This is stupid. You're even trying. And um, now, even in four months, I, I I wrote a whole stage play start to finish the whole thing. I went to the library. I looked up, how do you form out a play? How does one write an entire play? I did it because every day I would look at it sober and be like, okay, you tried and you're going to keep going. Let's just finish it. Show, show yourself what you can do. And that's brand new. Couldn't have done it drunk. Um, it's a blessing. Um, and I'm really glad I'm here and I'm really grateful that you asked me to speak. I'm really happy to discover this meeting and much love, much love to the newcomers. It does get better. Um, it's worked for me. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Laura, for asking me. And I don't know how I'm going to follow that. Um, Elise, that was awesome. I just loved hearing you share and congratulations on four months. Um, I really related to just about everything that you said. Um, and um, <clears throat> so, yeah, uh, my story. Um, well, I'll say this. Um, AA has worked for me for a long time. And the best evidence of that is that um, this afternoon, I walked out of my house and I walked to the store and I bought some groceries that I paid for with the, um, the money that I made at a job that I've had for a criminally long stretch of time. Um, and I walked all the way back home and I saw lots of people on the way and none of them, none of them even thought for a second that I was an alcoholic. And that's, that's amazing to me because um, when I was at the end of my drinking and using, if you saw me walking down the street, um, you, would, you would either say that dude is an alcoholic or at the very least, this, the elevator doesn't go to the top floor with that guy, just like seeing me walk down the street. Um, and, um, and it's all because of Alcoholics Anonymous that, that, um, that I'm like here having this conversation with you. Um, the reason that, you know, I live most of my days in a somewhat, you know, normal fashion. Um, and maybe for, if you're new, maybe you're thinking like, well, that sounds awful. Um, <laughs> I don't want to be normal. And you know what? Um, uh, when I got here, I certainly did not, I did, I didn't like, well, okay, let me just back up. I got sober on August 12th, 1989. I was 20 years old. I walked into a room after having been to three rehabs, jail, a mental hospital, homeless, completely cut off from my family, unemployable, um, 
And I walked into this, well, it wasn't in a room, actually. It was outside. I got sober in Hawaii. I was standing in a ring of, <laughs> I was standing in a ring of coconut trees, actually. And um, I was looking around at all the people who were like, 90% of them were um, younger than I am now. And I was like, these people are like AARP, one foot in the grave. I do not want to, I don't want to hang out with these people. I, I, I really don't want to hang out with these people. Um, but the problem is um, I had been to AA so many times and I had even put together some sobriety before and I knew that it worked. I knew that it worked. My dad was an AA. I did not want to be an AA, but I could see that AA was working in my dad's life too. When I got sober, my dad had uh, six years of sobriety. It was like an incomprehensible amount of sobriety. Um, I knew that he was happy. I knew that this program was working in his life. And after a just absolutely flaming out, um, I thought I'd give it one more try. Um, and so that's how I got here. But backing up even further, um, I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area, um, and I grew up in a family of alcoholics and codependents and adult children of alcoholics, and everybody in my family drank and used drugs. Um, but they didn't, they didn't, you know, they didn't advertise the fact. Um, there were a lot, there were, you know, a lot of them were like controlled drinkers. Uh, my dad for, my dad, you know, he held together a rather successful business, but like he was like snorting an eight ball of cocaine a day and, and, you know, just bombed out of his skull all the time. Um, but managed to keep it together. I, I don't know how he did it. Um, but, um, you know, grew up in that kind of environment and, um, I just knew that like my grumpy family suddenly cheered up whenever they had parties and whenever they brought out the alcohol. And so it just seemed like a natural thing, like, um, you know, because as a child, I really felt I went, I went through, I won't go into all the details, but I went through a lot of trauma in my childhood. And um, by the time I was in the seventh grade, I was like, I was like going to the library and like looking up like books about suicide and like fantasizing about suicide. And it was a, you know, it was a dark, I was a dark kid. And so um, when I, I remember, um, you know, I went to uh, a friend's house and he, and uh, his, his dad had this giant bottle of gin and um, we drank, uh, I think, I don't, know, I don't know where he got the idea to make such a sophisticated cocktail, but my first drink was a gin and tonic when I was in the seventh grade. Um, and, um, and I think it had a lot more gin than tonic in it, but I just remember like when it, when it, when it hit, I was like, well, this, this is the, whatever game plan I had before that. I was like, this is the game plan now. Um, because for the first time I just felt at ease. I just felt at ease. Like I always felt like I was the person who like walked into a room and I was sure that if people were laughing, they were laughing at me and that my fly was down or something. That's just how I walked around in the world. And when I drank that, I, I didn't feel like that anymore. And it was fabulous. Um, and strange to say, who knows? Um, alcohol may have saved my life for a time because if I didn't have a solution, I might've just, you know, 
gone and you know taken my life. Uh, people in my family have taken their lives. Um, but also, you know, alcohol. But it's all to say that alcohol worked for a while, um, and drugs very quickly entered the story. Um, you know, because I was so young, uh, it was a lot easier to get drugs. Um, and um, once I discovered drugs, I liked those too. And um, so basically, you know, the plan very quickly became um, be as high as possible all day. And everything else just sort of receded into the, into the background. Um, I lost interest in school. I lost interest in athletics. I lost friends who, you know, if you didn't want to drink, you weren't my friend. And um, around this time, um, my dad gathered us all together uh, to let us know that he had joined Alcoholics Anonymous. And um, I wasn't sure what that meant. And he explained like, you know, you know how I used to always go away on those long business trips and stuff. And I was like, and that, which I thought was weird because my dad's a mortician. So I'm like, what kind of business trip are you going on? Um, but he did he used to, you know, go on these long business trips, but it turned out he used to get a lot of DUIs and possession charges and was in, in jail. <laughs> that's, that's where he was. Um, and, um, and he finally, you know, my stepmother gave him an ultimatum, like you need to get sober or get lost. And um, so he, he joined Alcoholics Anonymous. And, um, you know, it was like, at the time, like, if there were like, if you had like a map of the universe, and like, there was the black, the biggest black hole of like, uncool in the universe, it was the AA meetings my father was going to, like, I, there was, I had, was, <laughs> I had, that was like the word, that was like a death sentence. If, if When my dad told me he started going to A, I was like, you, that is just sad. That's, I feel really sorry for you that you've stopped drinking father. Um, and, um, but he's like, I, God, he was so happy, so happy on a pink cloud all the time. All he wanted to talk about was AA, like you could be like, any, anything was like, anything seemed to be an opportunity to talk about Alcoholics Anonymous. I don't care if it was like, pass me the potatoes. It was like an opportunity to talk about Alcoholics Anonymous and how great it was and how grateful he was that the potatoes tasted so good now that he was sober and AA. And um, it was like <laughs> disgusting. Um, and, um, you know, um, and around, you know, it didn't take long for me, you know, there was a period of a few years where the alcohol was really working. And then very quickly, it sort of boomeranged on me. And what happened was, is I became that depressive person again. Um, I became suicidal again, only it was the alcohol and drugs magnified it. And um, that was when I was first institutionalized because they knew that um, I was a risk basically. Um, and, um, I went into a mental hospital and then, and, and when I was there, they were like, well, he's not, you know, you know, he doesn't need to be locked up. He just needs to quit drinking. He's an alcoholic. And so they put me in a rehab and I, you know, the first step was, was not, I was not having any of that. I was like, okay, maybe I, there are sure there were times where I, you know, wanted to stop drinking and couldn't. Uh, so maybe the powerlessness thing, sure, maybe, maybe. 
but my life is the reason my life is unmanageable is because of you. It's your fault. It is the restrictive rules of this country and the police and all these people with, if they would just leave me alone and get off my back. Um, that is why my life is unmanageable. It's your fault. So needless to say, um, I wasn't sold on AA and I started drinking again. And when I was in rehab, my mom started going to Al-Anon and uh, she was like, I love you. And that means that I need to kick you out of the house until you get sober. And um, so my family kicked me out of the house and wouldn't have anything to do with me. And um, um, I started staying with friends and I burned all those bridges and then I ended up homeless and uh, just lived on the streets for a while. And, um, and then I was like, well, this kind of sucks. And so I went to another rehab and um, I was a little more willing that time, but, but, not, but not really. Um, I really just, it was nice. It was nice to have a bed to sleep in. Um, and, uh, but I did, you know, graduate from that rehab and I stayed sober for about a year. And, um, I had all these service commitments. I was the treasurer of like a couple of meetings, but I didn't have a job. And so I was like taking all the money from the treasury and just kind of, you know, living, you know, as high on the hog as you can with, you know, a treasury money. Um, and then, uh, when my commitments ran out, I was like, I'm moving to Hawaii. And um, so I, I, I left the Bay Area and I moved to Hawaii um, because I surf and I always wanted to like go and live there and surf and do that whole thing. And um, and then I got to, I went to an AA meeting in Honolulu where I landed and I was like, these people don't know anything about AA, they're doing it all wrong. And um, in the meantime, I had a job at a restaurant and all the other waiters and bus boys were like, hey, have a drink, have a drink. I was like, no, no, okay. And um, next thing you know, I was, I was drinking again. Um, and this time it was darker and uglier and um, my alcoholism just took off like a shot. And, um, you know, very, it was very soon again, a strain, I was estranged from my family. I was estranged from any friends I had made. I was completely unemployable. I was living in my car, uh, which was a 1967 Toyota Corona station wagon rebuilt from a fire. Um, and it was like a metaphor for my life, basically. Um, it had like this so I, I used to like, I used to shoplift for all my booze because um, I was underage and I just didn't want to like ask someone to buy me alcohol. And I looked like I was underage when I was underage. So I was not going to get by on any, you know, on a kind liquor store employee. Um, so anyways, I just steal all my alcohol. And um, I remember there was this one liquor store and they had these, um, it was called, I remember they were called like cocktails for two or something and they came in these pink big bottles and they had all different flavors and the one closest to the door was strawberry daiquiris and so I would go in and I would take a bunch of them and just walk out of the store and one night I drank a whole bunch of them and then I found a bottle of whiskey and I drank all that and so um it was like this bright pink daiquiris and basically I just was driving around and I just barfed out the driver's side one, just a, a pink waterfall and it just splattered down the door and I didn't even bother to clean it up. It was like this pink dried on, crusted on vomit on the side of my door. And I just, I, that's how I lived. That's how, that's how I was living. Um, and um, if you like turned on the heater vent of my 
car, like all the cockroaches would fly out. And it was just, just a, you know, just um, not fun living. And, um, and around that time I started getting um, gastric hemorrhages. And um, on the 4th of July in 1989, um, a guy I was with, uh, you know, I was like, I started throwing up and I was like, this isn't, well, this is something else. And he was like, dude, you're throwing up blood. And so he threw me into my car, which you, you know, start with a screwdriver, of course, drove me to the ER, threw me into the ER. And, um, and I just, I always remember this, it was in Hawaii. And so there was this big Samoan guy who was an orderly and he was like, he was getting pissed off because I was like strapped to this gurney and I kept leaning over and puking blood all over the floor and he had to keep coming in and like mopping it up and he was like dude what are you i feel like old people doing this this is like old chronic alcoholic behavior i you know and what are you doing and um and i just remember like leaving that hospital and the doctors were like you know you you probably should stop drinking. It's, it's, it's not a good look for you. And you have, you know, you're starting to have like gastric bleeding. You should, you're 20 years old. You should, you should just stop. Um, you know, if your life is this bad at the age of 20, it's not like, you know, all, you know, the indicators, you know, nothing is indicating that you're like on the, you know, on the, you know, the rebound here, just stop. Um, but I couldn't stop. And, um, I kept drinking and I remember thinking like my great concession was, well, I'm just going to drink beer now. Um, you know, the cocaine and the tequila, not a good, that was, that was what was, you know, um, you know, making me throw up and whatever. And, um, but then I saw, so you know, fast forward to August 11th, 1989, I went to this store, I stole a six pack of Coors extra gold. And I did something I've never done in my entire life. I walked down to the beach and I only drank five of those beers. And because um, when I got to the last one, I was like, this could go on for a really long time or like I could just like maybe the doctors will be right and it won't and I'll just be dead not too, for, you know, before long. And neither of those options appealed to me. And um, that was like my moment of clarity. And, and the next day I went to one of those meetings uh, <laughs> in a ring of coconut trees. Um, and, um, and, uh, I met this guy who would become my sponsor and, um, and I was done. I, I was like, I was, I was done. I was looking around at all the old people again. You know, I was like, God, I'm, is it come to this hanging out with old people? But by the end of that meeting, I was like, I don't care. I don't care. I'm going to hang out with these old people. They're talking about these AA dances. I'll, I'll go, I'll go to their stupid dances. I'll go to their stupid little after meeting coffee sessions, whatever they're, whatever they're doing. Um, I just don't want to feel like this anymore. And, um, and so that's what I did. And my sponsor, you know, I remember he had two years of sobriety and I thought the guy was like Buddha. I was like, this dude knows some shit. And like, I look back now and the guy was just as crazy as I was, but he had worked the steps and he was staying sober. And he, he was having a spiritual experience and he wanted to pass on what was so freely given to him. And that's what I do now. But at the time I was like, he was like, it was kind of funny because he had just, he had gotten out of the Marines and he was a drill sergeant in the Marines. 
And it was like, it was just what I needed. Like I, um, I didn't need someone to like say, Hey, you know, whenever you're ready to read the big book, he was like, you're coming over to my house. We're going to read the fucking book. We're going to read it and we're going to talk about it. And we're going to work the steps. You're going to do the steps. And, um, and that's what we did. We started doing the steps and, um, and I finally got the full, the full understanding of step one that, you know, not only was that powerless over alcohol, but my life was an unmanageable and it wasn't anybody's fault, but mine, I was the one fucking shit up. And, um, and when I could admit that, um, it was, it was a tremendous relief because I, because we moved on to step two and he was talking about a higher power and how a higher power of my understanding could restore me to some form of sanity. Um, and I will say that that was a difficult step, but it, it gave me hope. And I don't feel like I took it all at one time. I feel like over the years, that step has slowly, slowly folded itself into my life. Um, I mean, being newly sober and someone saying, yeah, you're powerless over alcohol. And guess what? In AA, the solution is spiritual. Um, we're not going to will our alcoholism away. In AA, we just talk about like, you know, the way we do it here, it's a spiritual solution. And that's like the, what it says in the big book, like the purpose of this book is to, so that you can learn to develop a relationship with a higher power that can help you stay sober. Um, and those are not easy terms. I mean, any other disease, like if you were diabetic or if you had cancer and someone was like, hey, <laughs> cancer guy, if you, if you do the radiation and the chemo, um, there is a very, very strong chance that you're going to live. And they, you'd be like, sure, I'll do that. But not with, with an alcoholic. They're like, you know, you can accept spiritual help or you're going to die of alcoholism and alcoholics are like, well, I certainly was. I was like, Oh, I don't know. <laughs> you know, let me think about it. <laughs> um, and, um, but I was done thinking about it at that point. Um, I had certainly had my doubts in previous passes through AA, but I was ready this time. And, um, when I had about two months sober, um, I remember leaving a meeting and thinking like that old gnawing, awful, craving for a drink came back to me and I had been sober for about two months and we had done like the first two steps. And I remember thinking like that maybe it's not going to work for me. I mean, I've been coming to these meetings for two months and right now I could, I could drink so easily right now. And I thought, well, maybe this, maybe I'm one of those people that they're like constitutionally incapable of staying sober. Maybe I'm one of those people. Um, and I remember that terror and I remember calling my sponsor and said, and telling him what was up. And he's like, come to my house right now. And um, we, um, you know, there are no burning bushes in my story by any stretch, but I will say the most like cosmic experience I have had in Alcoholics Anonymous was going to my sponsor's house that night and him saying, get on your knees. I'm going to get on my knees right next to you. And we're going to say the third step prayer. And we did. And we said the third step prayer and I went home and I went to bed and I woke up and I wasn't in a particularly good mood. I went about my day, whatever. But about a month later, I realized that, um, that from that night to, to, to right now, sitting here talking to you, that desire to drink was lifted from me. 
I, you know, I, it is like, it is crazy. It well, it's not crazy. It's, it's, I believe it's like, you know, a higher power working in my life, but that was like, you know, I mean, that was like sawing the lady in half, like with no like trick mirrors and stuff. That was like legit magic. I was like, holy crap. Pardon my French, but <laughs> that's what happened. I said the third step prayer and um, I haven't had a drink since. Um, I haven't felt like taking a drink since I've been to concerts and like, you know, walked through like just like clouds of weed and been to bars to see bands and whatever. And I, but the fact of the matter is, is that um, I'm sober and I'm in God's care and protection. It means I can go anywhere um, nowadays. It's a, it's a, it's a freaking miracle is what it is. Um, and I, it, you know, I can't take any credit for it. I mean, other than like, you know, stumbling my way into that first meeting is all like the result of a higher power and working in my life. And, um, so after that happened, um, we did a four step, um, wrote down all my resentments, all my fears, a sexual inventory, you know, looking at where I had been selfish, dishonest, resentful, afraid. And as it turns out, that's how I lived my life. That was like the selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear were like the blueprint of my life. That's how I lived in the world. Um, and so no wonder I was a nutcase. Um, <clears throat> and, um, you know, I, as I wrote, I was, I wrote out before I wrote out that inventory, I remember looking at step eight and nine and thinking like, well, I don't know, maybe you don't have to do all 12 steps. Cause I don't really, I don't know if I owe anybody any amends. Um, but in writing out that inventory, I learned that um, when you live a life based on dishonesty, resentment, and fear, it turns out you go around harming a lot of people that way. <laughs> in fact, I harmed almost everybody I came in contact with. Um, and I learned that. Um, and, um, you know, by reading that inventory to my sponsor and us talking through it, and him telling me about some like some really dark stuff that happened in his life and me and you know it's it's not about a, a deep dark secret sharing session but that does become you know that ends up coming into the conversation but i really learned that i was living a life based on like self selfishness and self-centeredness and um and we talked about it and in six and seven we talked about are you willing to you know, are you entirely willing to let that stuff go? And, and then saying a prayer to, to let that stuff go. Um, and that that's particularly poignant in my life today because um, my sponsor, who's some, you know, Robert, um, he, uh, we have a, a, a weekly big book and 12 and 12 discussion that, um, you know, we read through the book, um, a bunch of guys that he sponsors. And we just, we all together just did um, step four, five, six, and seven. And um, I'm pleased to report that um, selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear are still part of my life, <laughs> but I'm aware of it. And, um, and um, I have the tools to deal with it now. Um, the, they are no longer the blueprint of my life, but they're still there, I'm still working. Um, and it is interesting to see those things uh, in my life now. I mean, I've been sober more than half of my life. I've been sober for 34 years. And um, I will say there's, there's a sense of like sh shame sometimes like, God, I still act like that. Still, I still act like that. Um, I do. 
And, um, <laughs> um, but now, like I said, I'm aware of it and we have the tools to deal with it now. Um, so anyways, going through the steps, you know, after we did six and seven, um, I wrote out a list based on my four step of all the people I'd harmed, all the amends I needed to make. And I started, you know, that was, that was really scary for me. Um, and when I started making amends, um, I remember the first amend I made was at a restaurant where I basically stole all the booze that wasn't like locked up. I just ripped the place off. And I remember going back there and like my old manager saw me and he was, she walked right up to me. She's like, I don't know why you're here, but you are, you, we, we are not hiring. <laughs> we are not hiring. <laughs> and I was like, well, wait, no, I'm just here to, I'm, and I explained why I was there. I told her I was an AA and I was sober and I was trying to live in a new way. And I explained <laughs> the amends that I owed to these people. And um, I, at the time had a job as a, as a bike messenger making minimum wage. And I owed this restaurant a couple of grand easily. And it took me like five years to make, make that amend. It took me, and it was like, it was a really big deal to like go there like month in and month out, sometimes with like a check for $20. <laughs> And, and the manager was so nice. I mean, like they actually like changed management like four times in the course of like me paying off this amend. And like the third guy was like, oh, you're Matt. Yeah, they, they told me. Yeah, okay. I, well, yeah, they they like had accounting. They were like passing down through the managers. <laughs> and I remember like the four, by the time, like four managers later, I was like, here's the last one. It took me like five years, but it was such, it was like, what a relief. Now I will say it didn't take like five years for the promises to come true. He's <laughs> saying that like, like that particular amend was so humbling for me because I ruined, I was the first one I, I made. And I remember just wanting to be like, have bags of cash and just go around and be like, I'm done with you. I'm done with you. I'm done with you. I'm done with you. And I'm just going to go and live my life. But no, <laughs> I had to like go back month after month after month. And, um, and I remember I thinking this will never end. Um, but that was just one of many amends that I started to make. And I started to rebuild relationships with my families and, um, uh, and my friends. And, um, you know, it was funny because I got sober on an island, right? And like the island I lived on, I only hung out in a very small part of that island because I was like just trapped in my own alcoholism. And like the, it just like my world got bigger and bigger and bigger. And I didn't have to cross the street to see if I saw somebody coming down the street and um, I could look people in the eye because I know that I had done my best to clean up my side of the street. Um, and um, what a gift. Um, <clears throat> um, and, uh, you know, nowadays, I'll just keep this last part short, you know, 10, 11, and 12 are really like the things that I, I would say I focus on the most closely, like on a daily basis nowadays. Um, you know, I continue to take personal inventory. Where have I been selfish, dishonest, resentful, afraid? Do I need to make amends to somebody? Um, and, um, um, you know, praying and meditating, it's like a daily part of my life. It's a, I wouldn't miss it. It's like, um, you know, the, 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 the journey that AA has taken me on to like develop a relationship with a higher power, what that looks like has grown and flowered into something that is like, just like, I wouldn't miss it. 
Um, and so now it's about, you know, doing this, talk, you know, talking at meetings, trying to have service positions, trying to sponsor people, continue to, you know, like my very first sponsor did, I've had, you know, a few sponsors over the years now, but, you know, giving back what was so freely given to him. I mean, I, um, that's the, that's like the gift and the miracle of what, what we're all doing here. Right. Um, and it works like, I mean, I sometimes think like during the pandemic, when we all started, like some of you got said you got sober during the pandemic, going to Zoom meetings. Um, there's this part in the in the 12 and 12 where they talk about, you know, when AA was brand new, like that was like when we had world wars, right? And some guys were getting sober and they were going off to war, right? And they were thinking, well, how are these people going to, how are these guys ever, because it was mostly guys, you know, how are these guys ever going to stay sober? Uh, in a war, right? And they did. They came back, and like, in fact, that they were like, they proved that it worked, right? And I, I'm not comparing war to a pandemic, but I feel like this, like, all of a sudden we can't meet in person. Boom, we'll figure it. We'll figure something out. And here we are, like, talking to one another on computer screens, like you know, Hollywood Squares. It's, it works because we really want to make it work and we want to keep sharing what we have with one another. It's phenomenal. It, it blows my mind. Um, and, um, you know, I could say a lot of other stuff about like my, like the, the life that I've had as a result of being sober is like, is astounding to me still. Um, you know, I graduated from high school, like graduated in a blackout um and like the principal like just let me go he was like i don't even want to deal i don't even want this paperwork and like that's kind of how i exited high school and like went lived on the streets but since then you know i've like i've gone to college um i've gotten degrees i've had like multiple interesting and odd careers um and um I married, you know, somebody mentioned like being married to someone in AA. That's that right there. That's my wife. She's an AA. Um, that she drew that picture of herself. She's a very talented artist. But anyways, <laughs> we um, try to live our lives and our you know, our marriage and the principles of Alcoholics Anonymous. It's very hard. It's tremendously difficult. We have a 12 year old son. We're trying to raise him the way in with the principles of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, it is hard freaking work, uh, being married to self-centered people being married, um, talk about a workout. Um, but, uh, you know, we, you know, we always have the program we come back to, we live our life, you know, based on spiritual principles, we argue, we fight, we disagree, we, make amends to one another we try to like live in the world uh, i try to be you know less of an asshole one day at a time um and um yeah i seem to be improving um and i know i'm, I'm out of, almost out of time and there is so much more that i could say um but um i just want to say thank you um I'm so grateful for Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm so grateful for the opportunity to, to do this, um, talking to other alcoholics. I love alcoholics. 
I, I'll just end with this. And I don't mean to cross talk, Elise, but you were talking about how you feel like, oh, I'm living at home with my parents. I'm 40, I'm divorced. Blah. That is so fucking awesome. I have to tell you, it is, it is an opportunity. Like people who are like, oh, I went to high school, then I went to college and I knew what I wanted to do when I was little. And I did that thing when I was growing up and I got married with have a house with the picket fence. Boring, boring. This is like the beginning of awesome. Like I've seen it happen a million times. People are like, just like my life's in my life's in hell. I'm, you know, like it's Saturday night. I'm in an AA meeting. Um, but like, it's like, is such, it is such a gift and I'm excited for, I'm excited for all of us. So I'll end there. Thank you.